Yo, this hot, this the spot, there it is pod.com We're interviewing the best comedians, so tune in quick and get your ears receiving them We talking about life and life to stream right to you From the microphone right to your home, dude Side note, this might get embarrassing, but no, don't sweat, yo Cause there it is Welcome to the There It Is podcast, the comedy podcast for creators of any variety. I'm your host, Jason Farr. Let's do this. Thanks so much for listening, especially if it's your first time listening. You can go back and listen to old episodes on iTunes and SoundCloud. There's an easy way to listen to the SoundCloud episodes. You can go to thereitispod.com and uh, go to podcast and you'll see a little player there so it'll be great last week's special episode was a lot of fun i hope you got a chance to listen to it and enjoyed it it was a really good recap of everything a lot of fun moments right snoopy yep he liked it and today's episode is a lot of fun too it's with dion flynn you have seen him because he plays barack obama on the tonight show starring jimmy fallon and he also did on late night he played many characters he had over 40 appearances on both late night and the tonight show uh, combined and uh, he's a really interesting performer in person we have a really good chat and we have a special guest adam hamway who is a jimmy fallon impersonator that's a really fun moment so you want to check that out let's get right to it here's my chat with dion flynn you've had an interesting life uh, before getting into comedy if I'm understanding it correctly, were you in military and then also being a life coach before you got into performing at all? Is that how that worked out? Well, the timeline was ran away from home at 17, uh, drug addict alcoholic Mm -hmm. up until 20 years ago, Mm -hmm. went to graduate acting school, undergrad acting, Mm -hmm. and then went to graduate acting program at NYU, and there got sober. That was like the big turning point in my life. Okay. You know, I stopped using drugs and alcohol. Mm-hmm. And then I've been sober for 20 years last month. Great. You know, day at a time, as they say somewhere. Right. Um, so that's that. And so all that while you can trace, if you look back at the story, sort of archaeologically, mm-hmm. you can dust away the, the stuff and see that there was a huge interest in showbiz my whole life. Right. Way before 17. I was performing mm-hmm. in music and doing bands and lead singer. And, <clears throat> and then when I was young, um, just voices and recording and always, just always with a tape recorder and, and making fun and doing interviews and just uh-huh. from the age of 10, you know, when I was the only brown kid in my trailer park. That's how I grew up. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so, and, and that, I guess, were, is part of the reason why you ran away at 17. Well, you, uh, you don't have to get into that. I'm no, 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 no. And, and I'm not balking due to that. Like, it's a bad question. I think it's a great question. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think that was the reason. I don't think it was because I was the only brown kid in my trailer park that I mm-hmm. ran away. I think it was because I, the addictive side of myself was already taken over. And mm-hmm. part of that is just like doing crazy things, you know? Right. Just changing cities all of a sudden. And right. thinking that's going like, to make your life better. Right. Right? You, do, you don't really think things out. The, the only brown, there was huge benefits to being the only brown kid in my trailer park. My parents are both white, so my mother's white. She had me with a black guy, never met him. Mm-hmm. We don't know about him, we don't talk about him. You bring it up on holidays and she cried. Okay. That's what she did. She's not alive anymore either. Mm-hmm. Then I had a white father and we lived in this trailer park. 
all white people, little brown me, no explanation as to what, where I came from. Right. So I had to go out and sort of face the crowd, mm -hmm. you know, and give them answers. They're like, what's going on? Like, you are brown and your parents are white. What is the deal? And I would just be like, oh, I don't know, just make stuff up, you know? Yeah. And so that's, I think, where some of that fast shuffling and dancing came from. Right. You know? Oh, I see. You know? And being able to stand up to people and be uh, to be able to cut them down. We, we say cut downs. Right, people, right. What do the people call it? I mean, like cut downs. Snaps. And snaps. Yeah, right. Yeah. The, the different regions have different names for that. But mm -hmm. it's, it's that basic behavior of like, you call me, you know, you call me fat boy, I'm going to call you big teeth. You right, know, yeah, you call yeah, me bus yeah. or whatever. <laughs> you know? I remember writing my first preparatory self-protective joke. I even remember the kid's name, but I won't say it. And it was, they were really cracking. Cracking is another way we call it. Yeah. Cracking on me. Um, you know, and I was like, I'm going back to that bus tomorrow. <laughs> you know, I'm going to have something ready for this kid's big teeth. In fact, it was big teeth. Mm -hmm. And then I, I remember that night, I was like, what? Good are they? And I was thinking, like, big teeth, big rocks, big blocks, big stuff. Little blocks, like a, like a build a wall, like Great Wall of China. And I went back the next day with Great Wall of China teeth, locked and loaded. I was ready to, like, deliver it. Uh -huh. and, uh, and he didn't start anything up. This kid. So I was like, I had, I had material, you know, and I was ready to like hit him with it, you know, great ball of China teeth, which wouldn't have probably gone over well anyway. But anyway, so I think that's where I start learned that you can prepare something beforehand mm -hmm. for a time when you're going to need to have words. Okay. So that's mm -hmm. part of it. That's very interesting. So you, uh, where did you, you said you were at NYU when you started doing the studies, actual studies? In it. Well, my parents actually had me go to a, an acting class at, at a community college. Oh, okay. And adults were in it. It was just adults and me. And that was like age 13. Okay. So, you know, to their extreme credit, they recognized that I had a real talent for this. I had been in like plays at church and I was in a rock band that played at our church and everybody was like very uncomfortable with our rock band. Mm -hmm. it, was, it was sort of just out of step with what was happening. And I was in a long trench coat and I was very overweight and I was just sort of like edgy but nerdy edgy. It was really weird. It was a bad move. It was just a bad move on many fronts. But but anyway, seeing all these predilections toward entertainment, mm -hmm. they did when they could put me in the right place. Right. So this acting class was a very good example. And I don't know what happened. Also, a local actress who came to our school, I remember her name too. I don't know why I'm going to say it, but I just won't. But she played Sojourner Truth, mm -hmm. this, this African-American woman, and she did this, this, this take on her. And she, too, recognized something. And she said, you've got to get to an acting class. And I think she did something to connect it. Anyway, I know. That's cool. But anyway, so there I was in this acting class at the community college with adults. Mm -hmm. And so they put me in this guy's father-son scene. And I just remember it was fun. And then I did you know, plays locally. I was in a musical, Finian's Rainbow. And I would get them. I got an applause break in Finian's Rainbow as one of the gospel ears. Mm -hmm. And, I, and, and I, I remember what I said. I said, um, brothers, brothers, I was 14 and I was big. I was fat and getting really tall. So mm -hmm. I was like a big dude already. And they were like, uh, uh, they said, what happened to your other gospel ear? And I said, Brother, brothers, we suffered a bit of a, tra a tragedy last night. It was after our triumphant performance at the First Baptist Church. There was our number three man, Russ. 
taken with temptation. And in his desperation, he cried out, get thee behind me, Satan. And Satan got, and Satan pushed, and he pushed him right into the arms of a bouncing Babylonian Jezebel from Biloxi, Mississippi. Oh, so strong, but the flesh was weak. And our number three man is now missing. And that would always get applause from the audience. And I was like, oh my God. I gotta keep it was thrilling. Yeah. I was, I was like, these, it's a room full of people. It's a cavern full of people. And they're all applauding. And, and I really needed that applause. Mm -hmm. You know, I think I need it now, but now I'm in this phase where I'm playing with it in a whole different way. Because mm -hmm. I'm past the place where you need it to know that you're okay the approbation that comes back from the audience. Right. So now I'm playing in those little gaps where yeah. the jokes bomb. Right. I think it's fun to live in that and talk about it. And so my comedy has definitely changed. And, yeah. Uh, when did comedy become a part? So in this timeline, um, there was a time where you were being a life coach for people. That was after, okay, so the timeline would be 96, graduate school started, mm -hmm. 96 to 99, that's three years, 6,500 hours of, of acting training at a graduate level, mm -hmm. class of 18 people, mm -hmm. Josh Radner, how about your brother, he's in my class, yeah, gonna ask good buddy, because we do a lot of stuff together. Right. Um, that, there's that. Then I got out and I went to Shakespeare in the Park and worked in the public theater and then I watched Leah Schreiber do Hamlet and I was one of the ancillary characters in, in that. It was great. I got to work around great, great people. But I was always funny. I always mm -hmm. dealt with life with humor, mm -hmm. you know. Um, but to get up and say, here's a great example. He's great. This is a great question, and I never really have thought of this until now. But this is what happened. I was doing a play called In the Blood out of the Guthrie Theater, okay. Susan Lloyd Parks, and all I would do between rehearsals and with the other actors to say, do you think this is funny? Do you think this is funny? Oh. I was writing jokes. And when I was in a play, I didn't want anything more than to go be doing comedy. And that would come out while I was in a show. That's I don't know how to explain it, except for that's what I was. So I'm getting murdered every night by my own mother on stage, blood pack, and she's smashing me in the head. And I'm like, you know, writing jokes, you know, backstage <laughs> blood dripping down, you know. So, but it's just so frightening, the idea of saying, yeah. I'm going to get up here with ideas I've written, this mm -hmm. is what I think is funny, and you're going to think it's funny too. Yeah, it's, it's untested, yeah. It's terrifying. Well, you have to take full responsibility. Right. You can't blame anybody. Right. And that's really terrifying. But you know what? In, in fifth grade, I, I wrote a skit with two guys, mm -hmm. and I was a statue up on a thing. I was like frozen. Uh, and the teacher, Miss, Miss whatever her name is, I won't say it. She didn't want me to be in the show, and she kept threatening to take the talent show away from me. Okay, that was her method of like getting me to do what she wanted. I was a behavior problem, okay. big time, fifth grade, age five plus five is ten, age ten. And so she said, "I'm taking the talent show away. I'm going to take the talent show away." So eventually, the talent show comes, and I'm in it. My mom made me this gold toga to be the statue. And my mom was, you know, always sort of sick, but she got herself together to make this and. And so I'm in this toga, toga and this, like, uh, this laurel wreath around my head and I'm acting like I'm a statue who comes to life and I tap the guys on the shoulder and I change positions and I tap one, change positions. They're like, what's going on? They fight with each other and then I take the park bench. <laughs> but she said, you stick to that and don't deviate. She's pregnant, she's in the wings and she's watching me. She's like, I will kill you if you deviate from the script. 
But I took off my gold lame belt, uh-huh. and the auditorium is full. The gym is full of kids, and they are screaming. Every time I tap somebody, one of the guys on the bench, uh-huh. and freeze, they're going nuts, pandemonium. <laughs> and, I, and, I'm, and I'm like, oh my god, this is so intoxicating. <laughs> so I'm like, I look at her in the wing, she's like, don't you deviate. You know, she's like wagging her finger at me, fed, red-faced. And, and I take my belt off and I snap it in the air to the audience. And this was my first bit of improv, really. I said, do you want me to strangle him? Oh, There's no place. <laughs> and they all go, yes! 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 And I was like, and what I realized is she can't come out from the wings to come get me. Right. Because she's too embarrassed to make that 15-foot journey, like, in front. So I'm protected by that little space between the audience and the performer, uh-huh. which is sacred space. They can't get you. They can't attack you. They can't kill you. And so I'm there, and I'm like, and I've been basically up there, mm-hmm. metaphorically, so that no one will kill me ever since. You know? Wow. Like, you know, hiding out, hiding out in the spotlight, if you will. <laughs> right, right. No better place to hide. Better, yeah. Nobody needs your hiding. <laughs> they're, they're not going to break that. That uh, that what separates. Yeah, it's like where the, they are from you. Yes, yeah, like we, we we honor that, you know. Right. We, we honor, and I see it with celebrities. You know, I'm not a celebrity. I work with celebrities, mm-hmm. right? And I see them around, and it is you, you you as you're making your way, and you know you have an ambition to break out or be mm-hmm. successful, let's say, in show business. You're very aware of like the backstories, and you read things, and you mm-hmm. and you know that everybody talks about that isolation. That celebrity is. I, I don't, I don't have that kind of isolation and entourage and all that stuff. Right. I see it though, and I see just what I'm talking about—that relative safety of the spotlight. Um, I see it in other people. I see, you know, and it starts with the entourages and the bodyguards and the, you know, and the the, the handlers, and it's very interesting the way people navigate it. People navigate it very differently. Yeah. One from the other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've I've uh, heard a lot of different things about how people do try to navigate it some of them don't try too much to navigate it well that Steve Harvey thing that came out last week right yeah about him not wanting anyone to come to his dressing don't room don't come to my dressing room don't bother me in the hallway don't look at me right but I understand that like if you're focusing and you're trying to get something done yeah you don't want if you coming in the dressing room and if you say it politely, but if you commit it to writing, right. you can read it in a different way that makes right. it sound like really terrible. Yeah, the thing that was really interesting when I saw that, it's a leaked email that went out. Oh. And I said, well, the very reason that it went out is the very reason that it needed to be said to begin with. Yeah. If he's got people working there who would leak that, then obviously he needs some boundaries. But I didn't understand it. Well, he definitely does, and 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 you see, I guess you see, we see a wide range of artists being handled carefully, like mm-hmm. respect the artist, mm-hmm. let him do his thing. He's in the trail. He needs green M and M's in the bowl, and this and the other thing. I don't scoff at that. I say whatever you need, Daniel Day Lewis. If you need you to need go something. run around in the woods for three and a half years, I honor that. If you're gonna do it. Build his own house, build his own shoes, build his own... <laughs> Do build, you know what I mean? I totally respect that. Yeah, that's why I didn't understand what the hoopla was over the, the thing with Steve Harvey. So, we've gotten to your comedy career. How many years have you been doing... Because you started doing stand-up and... 2001, I would say. I really started getting up on stage at the Comedy mm-hmm. Cellar doing stand-up comedy. Okay. Right, and I didn't, I'm not a road comic, I'm not, some of these guys, like, you know, 
I just think I don't know why Sean Patton. He's just one of my favorites. He's great. And yeah. and, and Nate Bergazzi, like yeah. and these guys are my favorites. Yeah, they're great. And I respect them because they're out there. They go. They do it. They're in the clubs. You mm-hmm. know, uh, these guys that come to Sweet. I co-host Sweet with Seth Herzog on okay. the Lower East Side. And I've been, I, you know, Amy Schumer come through and Louis C.K. And I just sit on the side uh-huh. and I watch everybody, everybody, and all the different styles and all the different. But I'm not that. I'm not the person who has paid their dues in mm-hmm. terms of clubs. Right, right. Cl- you know. I see what you mean. But I have paid my dues in terms of the acting. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like acting hours on stage. Mm-hmm. There was a time for seven years. And, um, so seven years where I was, I just went from play to play to play to play. I never didn't have, didn't have a role, you right. know? And um, so I feel some sort of authority and ownership Right. Of of being on stage, I feel like I have a right to be on stage. I'm not going to waste your time. Right. At a minimum, if everything tanks, I can sing you a song. Mm-hmm. I can I can entertain you. Right? right. But there's a discipline to joke writing, joke memorization, joke delivery mm-hmm. that I understand and definitely work on and do, but would never put myself in the same category as those people mm-hmm. who do that exclusively and don't feel they can sing and don't feel they can act. I understand, yeah. So it's been this interesting mishmash of things. Right, Which yeah. leads me to like being, you know, being Barack Obama. Right. Doing like 70 different, 15 different characters on Late Night with right. Obama and The Tonight Show before Obama came out. Right. You know. Right. That, so, and you did some improv here. At the People's at Improv the, Theater. Right. For 10 years. I've been, over 10 years. I've mm-hmm. been on teams playing weekly. Yeah, you were in a, wasn't, isn't the longest running big black car. Right. Yeah, the longest, boasting such alumnus as Ellie Kemper and Great. Kristen Shaw and Matt Oberg. Um, and there was like an old version of, of that group which was just like storied and hallowed and then I came in on a, a, like a, a later wave of that. Mm-hmm. I was on that for a number of years with, with Ashley Ward and Nate Starkey and, and Chris Grace great improvisers. I do a solo show here now mm-hmm. because it's called Dion Flynn Works Well With Others because I don't work well with others. But I kind of do. <laughs> I do and I don't. I think improv requires you to really want to be on a team. Mm-hmm. You're on a team. We're a team. Everything we do is team and we're going to build it together and there's no individual. There's right. no I in team. I want to stand out there and say, no, I need the attention. I, I like to interact with the audience. <laughs> I want to know what you think of me. Let's laugh at the self-centeredness <laughs> of all of this. And let's see if I can get out of the basic conundrum, which is I'm assuring you that I'm going to entertain you for X amount of time. Let's see if I can do it. Okay. Let's see if we can do it together. And it does ride a line between stand-up and theater because I do characters and voices mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I can hold a dramatic scene. You know, I mean, you just saw my show, so you tell me whether you thought the scene with Bob was held effectively. I do, yeah. Are you sure? No, I, I sincerely mean that you. No, sincerely, I think you do hold the stage well, and but, you did in that. And would you would you tell me otherwise as a guest on your show? Like, would you? <laughs> I wonder, because that would be okay. If I. I probably wouldn't say directly, I wouldn't say that right. if I didn't think so. Right. Um, if I didn't think so, then I would say I would talk around it. Right. Um, what I do instead of lying is I try to find the most true, positive thing I can say. Right. And say that. Got it. But I think you did hold it. So 
I thought I liked the Bob scene and I liked your guys' reaction to it. The audience for me is a partner in mm -hmm. the creation. And I'm using the laughter as a gauge, which is almost exactly the opposite of what Del Close says <laughs> to do. Mm -hmm. Like, don't, you're out there pandering, you know, for, I do, and it's terrible or whatever, but it just, I like it. So that's I, how the idea came to do a solo show? No, it was a part of that. It was like an admission that I wanted more mm -hmm. of the stage time and <laughs> more of interacting with the audience. Yeah. And I like to scare myself. I like to know that every week at six, I'm gonna have to fill an hour, and I don't get to have a bunch of my joke cards with me mm -hmm. to fill up the whole hour. Because then I get inspired. You saw that like mm -hmm. I would take off on something that mm -hmm. I, you know, right. when we did the Galileo thing, never been done, I've never seen that video. <laughs> and you may not think it's a classic of comedy, but I a couple of the things fun. came out. Yeah. You know? I think, <laughs> <laughs> I think um, one of the things that's really interesting about the show that you're doing is that you are, uh, saying if I fail, I fail, and I'm gonna be comfortable on stage failing. Yeah, yeah. How does is that from just it's years from, of being on stage? That's from grad school. Mm -hmm. I mean, the actual pulling off of being comfortable and being relaxed. If you think I was doing that, I'm glad that you saw it that way because I did feel comfortable when I, when I told. Remember, I got my first drink of water, mm -hmm. and it really was true. I was like, okay, giving them enough. They seem to be on board. Mm -hmm. I can stop to do a little self care because I'm dying. No, that people. killed me too. And it, it killed everybody. Yeah, and everybody was laughing, and I was like, yes, this is so fun. And then I hammered it. Right. I doubled down on it. And got more bold. But that was because I'm listening. Right. So the listening that is required mm -hmm. in um, improv is very much required in my quote-unquote solo show. Right, it works well with others because I need the audience. You're hearing what they're doing to what very much so. responding. Yeah, that lady's name, her Korean or Thai Thailandese name. Mm -hmm. What do they call that? What is the Thailandese? Thailand? No, Thailandy name. Taiwanese. She was from Taiwan. Was right? she? Was she from Taiwan? Oh God. Mm -hmm. I, so I guess I, Taiwanese if she's from Taiwan. Thank you. I'm glad you're here. <laughs> I really am because I. I'm not going to go into it. It's Thailand and Taiwan. Those are different places. I know that. I'm looking in your eyes for verification. Yeah, oh yeah. Now, those are different places, of course. <laughs> no, I know they're spelled different. One's T-H-I and one's mm -hmm. Taiwan, but I could not tell you exactly 100% where they are in relation to each other. I couldn't either. They're in Southeast of Asia. Do you, right? know? you know where they are? Mm -hmm. God damn it. I don't know where they are. Adam is here, by the way. There he is. <laughs> we should uh, introduce him so he to be we are, yeah, giggling in the background. A lot of giggling in the background. Right. Uh, what, what is your name, sir? Adam Hamway. I just was walking by and just <laughs> I want to listen. I was interested. So Adam was, Hamway is a fantastic, he does a great show. Mm -hmm. Jimmy Fallon, the Tonight Show tribute show here at right. the People's Improv Theater on Thursdays. Is it every month? Every month. Every month. The next Once one is month. June fifteenth. Yeah. At seven seven p.m. Seven p.m. Look at that. I Seven There's only one hour that it could be. Look, I, could, yeah, I know, but I could have I could have altered the diphthong into sex. Or sex time. Sex time. Oh, time for sex? Must be Adam's show is on. <laughs> or you could do military time. Say, I have you. That's right, say, I have you. Then you start sounding like a freaking like, uh, Stephen Hawking. <laughs> Who refuses to yeah. change his voice box thing? I, I don't know, you could. Oh. What, the, 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 you could. the old speak and spell thing? Oh, you can change. Yeah. That. I found here for you, Drew Blackhole. 
Oh no, that's great. We could. Uh, we'll. we'll uh, I want. Well, well maybe let's hit. Playing so games, but let's be free. To, exactly. Let's talk yeah. about the uh, late night. How you get there? Um, so you're. You're. Oh my God! Yeah. I'm, so I'm in the the thing, and he says, "Well, should I say hi to Jimmy for you?" Mm-hmm. Giving me, as I tell it to myself, looking back, giving me. But my last opportunity to say, you know, we weren't really that good of friends, so don't mention me. He may or may not have been doing that, um, but I, I always tell it that way. So uh-huh. that he's good. But I say, yeah, of course, say hi to him, right? But I had just finished therapy and I had been out of show business for like on a self-imposed thing. I just needed to go do something, mm-hmm. find something, where I had been life coaching for right. like seven years. Yeah. So at the end of that is where we find me at the Veterans Hospital. Mm-hmm sitting in the cafeteria, eating my lunch, having this text exchange, and I put the phone down, and it was almost like a voice. I don't hear voices, but it was almost like, it was such a strong, intuitive thought, though, that you could almost call it a voice. said, ask him if you can go with him. And I said, hey, can I just go with you and be part of your entourage? And he said, sure. Come down to the hotel, go down to the hotel where you're staying. Black car picks us up, whisks us up to, you know, 30 Rock. We go upstairs together, sit in the dressing room, Josh and I are talking, do a little bit, you know, just clanging probably back and forth, that verbal word game you're gonna hear so much about later. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Jimmy comes in. And there was, I guess, a small part of me that was like, well, I hope he's happy to see me, you uh-huh. know? Yeah, yeah. He came in, before I tell you how he came in, I have to tell you one other thing. And then Adam can reenact it. Yes. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. There's a story I want Adam to reenact. Yes, this is this will be good. Back in 1998. Now you gotta understand the story I'm about to tell you about Jimmy coming in the door is 2011. Mm-hmm. In two th- in 98, I was finishing up some spiritual work with mm-hmm. a spiritual teacher of mine, and I was in a part of town I wasn't usually because I went to go see this person in Midtown, 50th Street. And I was finishing that work. I was really clean spiritually. So walking down the street in a different direction than I ever went. Walking down the street, Jimmy and I were friends until 96. When he went to Los Angeles, I came for grad school. Mm-hmm. So we hadn't seen each other in like a couple of years. Walking down the street, guy goes, Dion, it's Jimmy. He's got a guitar on his back. He's by himself. He has makeup on his face. He has just come from his SNL audition. Oh, wow. I'm the first human being that he runs into. I've never seen him before in New York City in my life. And he's always telling us back on the set of that show in Albany, mm-hmm. going to Saturday Night Live, going to Saturday Night Live. That's my goal. That's my ambition. They did reports on us and interviewed him. That's what he would say. Mm-hmm. Focused. So we talked. He took a picture of us. So here's the details you're going to need for us to recreate. I want to recreate this moment. Jimmy, you know, he said, he's glad to see me. I was glad to see him. And he showed me this. He had a book with him called Seven Spiritual Laws of Success mm-hmm. with Deepak Chopra. And he and I, I uh, took that, you know, for, took that information away and since delved into it myself. And he took a photo of both of us and then he said, you know, let's stay in touch. And then we talked later that summer Mm -hmm. and he got it. He told me, and we talked for like an hour, we just goofing around, talking everything. And he said, we're gonna stay in touch, blah, blah, blah. But he came to the city, he reached out once after that for us to have a drink or something. And we just fell out of touch and he went through the roof in terms of his fame and I, disappeared in obscurity and poverty and insanity no one laughed at that uh, so maybe everybody thinks I'm obscure insane and poor that's okay that's okay uh, so so let's do this ready 
Yeah. So we're on the street. We'll just do it. Okay, so I'm walking down the street. So now Adam. No, no, I was, I was walking down the street too. No, it was, it was fantastic. I remember this. I was it. I was wearing makeup. And I was it. I just had an audition for Saturday Night Live. Yeah, you remember that? Oh, yeah, it was great. And you called out to me. No, I was like, I was like Damn. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and you were you were like and you were like you were surprised to see me. I was so happy. I didn't even recognize you at first. Yeah, because I was wearing the makeup and everything. Wow. <laughs> I just didn't expect to see you. Yeah, because you never seen me in New York before. That's right. right. You know, we were sitting big. You know, yeah, this is great. So I was like, I was walking. It was great, man. It was great, and like you took a picture of us, and yeah. I was. You know, I, I wish I was telling you about the book. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, well you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Seven Spiritual Laws of Success. Was, like Deepak Chopra, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And that has helped me so much. I love, I love Deepak. Oh, he's, he's so, <laughs> ah, so great. He is great. I got him on the show. I love him. Yeah. So I know. Yeah. Oh, it's great. And then you went on. I went on my way. Actually, here's a little thing I'm just remembering now. You were staying at the Sheraton, and I remember. Trying to impose, up to the impose myself on you a little bit more, and you were like, "No, no, no, I'm good. I'm going back to my hotel," and I was not going to put you. Steve Harvey me. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. Steve Harvey me, and but now I understand it. You do something like that, you want to just go time. chill. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Just well, need you know, well, you know, you you want the good things to happen to you at that moment. So I just like want to get on a road and want to you know focus <laughs> more, you know, because I want to get on a cell. I want to be on Saturday Night Live. I don't want anything to interfere with what, what the goal is. So exactly. So. <laughs> Nothing like I wasn't happy to see it. No, no, you totally oh, were, and you like, took my you. number and everything. Yeah. You made sure, and then the and you called me and you took the picture. Right, I always. I wanted to see that picture anyway, you know, so I, I, I never bring it up. Uh, no, it's like now, it's, I don't know. This well, is one of my cell phones at my parents' house. I don't know, maybe <laughs> I gotta take it out. I never returned it, but a lot of people. You know what it was good. on? It was on a camera. Do you remember? Yeah. This was pre cell phone. Oh, yeah. It was right, on a right. camera, right? So it was, it was very notably not it was a cell like disposable. phone. It was like, disposable. It was disposable. I think it was an underwater one. I don't know. I just thought like Sheridan had like a rooftop pool. I don't know, maybe. <laughs> I was, I was just curious. Well, I, me too, man. And and it was it was wild at the end of the uh, summer when we talked and you got us and you were so happy. Of course, yeah. And I was honored. I was honored that you shared that with me. Oh yeah, because we had. Just, well, the reason was because we just met. I and mean, you're like you're the first one of the first people we saw. Yeah, I know. Like, what a wild experience. And you like. used in your audition, you used Dieter Gut Boots. Yeah, which is the name. I made that name That's up. Right. Yeah. Oh man. So I was like, it was when we talked about that for like an hour, it was great. Ah, look. <laughs> This is so great. No, this is psychodrama beyond. Like this is helping me actually to process some of this. Um, no, it's great. So was that the? Was this the real? No, this is honestly. This is a deeper. Okay, so just to put a pause. On, excellent job. Excellent Unbelievable job. job. Great job. Um, no, this started to get really psychodramatic for me just now because mm -hmm. I felt like I was talking to Jimmy, and. While I have had since then the opportunity to tell him at great length how grateful I am and how much his friendship over the years has meant to me, mm -hmm. um, no, I, I was going to say this went in a this explored it in a different way, mm -hmm. and it did because I don't ever bring up the ins and outs of that conversation, you know, like what I was thinking in terms of like I've never confessed that I had actually wanted to hang out for that day and he was like no, no, no I'm good which I totally get now like mm -hmm. I said it's interesting and there's only one last thing I'd like to work out in psychodrama right now which is when 
No, because you know what? All that's eradicated. I think as you, Jimmy, as you got more, can I say this to you now? Yeah, sure. As, you, as you got more and more famous, yeah. um, I backed away with a very polite, respectful thing. Because well, that's the thing about Dion. I mean, he's a really nice guy. He's great. I appreciate He's fantastic. He's, you know, you know, very respectful. You don't want to overstep your bounds. You know? No, no, I don't. Even though I've made a couple of mistakes, yeah, I don't know if I ever got back to you on the show. On the show, but I learned very quickly. Because you're hanging out backstage and you see your heroes. Mm-hmm. Backstage with Bill Cosby, before his, you know, right, right. his life fell apart. Before everything. Um, Tom Hanks, I got to talk to him about something I always want to talk to him about. And you see all these people, and at first I would like encroach. Because I just didn't understand. Mm-hmm. You know, I had been on television shows before too, but mm-hmm. not where big celebrities were coming in. I, they were celebrities. But anyway, um, so anyway, I'll leave that now. I'm just going to leave that for now because that's, you don't want to kill that. That was good. So you're saying there are a couple of moments when you maybe spoke to Tom Hanks while you're at late night? Yep. And uh, I went right to his dressing room night. And, I, and I, I, I always wanted to tell him that I was really stoned at a party in undergrad one time. And it was the day I realized what a sensational actor he is, and mm-hmm. it's what I use if I'm ever teaching acting or leading workshops, which I do. Um, I always, I sometimes use that as an example. And what the example was of how great an actor he was, mm-hmm. was that there was a black and white TV off to the side at my friend Paul Rapp's apartment, and Bosom Buddies was playing. Mm-hmm. And everybody was stoned. And uh, not on Bosom Buddies, but at the party. And, and I was just, I caught myself just sort of looking at the show, you know, while music is going and everything. And Peter Scolari and everybody else is on the show, mm-hmm. but they're just kind of like, you can't really understand what's happening because it's, but I can understand every word Tom Hanks was saying mysteriously. Mm-hmm. Everything. It was like I was reading, I'm not a lip reader. Right. And what I got was that he's so organized, as it, in terms of acting process, he's so aligned. Mm-hmm. Hamlet says, suit the action to the words and the words to the action. Mm-hmm. And he means, if you're an actor, be on point with what you're saying and make sure it lines up with how you're conveying it. And he did that so exceptionally mm-hmm. that I could read his lips and I'm not a lip reader. So I, I always knew I'd meet him and I was just waiting and there he was. So I walked over and I said, hey, hi, hey, funny bit you're doing because I saw him during rehearsal. And I said, um, I've always wanted to tell you this. I told him the story. I just told you guys. And what he said to me was not at all what I expected. And it taught me a lot about waiting 20 years to tell somebody a story. Uh-huh. He said, which episode was it? And my eyes widened. Uh-huh. And I felt my throat clicking. And my eyeballs were clicking dry. And I was like, I don't know. And what I realized was I'd always had a fantasy of vomiting this story onto him uh-huh. and he was just ready to have a regular conversation and I just wanted to like dump it and, and I never thought through what uh-huh. would come next and that's when I started to realize how difficult it must be to be famous mm-hmm. and then I got my own brand of fame mm-hmm. I'm not famous but yeah. Barack Obama is right. and when I put on his character and his suit mm-hmm. and I do appearances which I've done all over the world at this point mm-hmm you get treated like that symbol. And it's been the most interesting, voyeuristic kind of appreciation for what it is to walk into a room, mm-hmm. have everybody know who you are, and, I've n- and, I've, and I haven't had to, I say I haven't had to give up my own anonymity. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Because no, nobody knows who 
just me. I mean, a couple people know me or whatever, but they definitely know Obama from The Tonight Show. Right. And that has created great opportunities, you know. Anyway, am I saying things that no, are wanting good. to hear? No, <laughs> I'm just fucking going okay. off, man. Well, you caught me right after performance, so I'm like, blah, 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 blah. yeah, yeah. That's why I appreciate you doing this because I know I need to decompress after a show. But right, like we said, Jimmy uh, needs to do needed to do that. Right, day. and I said that. I understand that now, and here I am contradicting that by talking very effusively right after a performance. <laughs> so I'm mad. So when you saw him in 2011, was that when he was like, hey, why don't you do some stuff on the show? He comes backstage. Yes, he came backstage. He comes back in. He comes in the room, and he grabbed me up. Damn, where have you been? He's turning to his, you know, people and saying, "It's one of the funniest guys I know," and he was genuinely interested and I don't know how concerned ultimately, mm -hmm. but at least wondering, you know, where have you been, mm -hmm. you know, and he grabbed me up and hugged me like three times, and I was like really boosted up by his energy. Yeah. That's one of his huge gifts is that he is, for better or for worse, and I say that because sometimes I just worry about his own personal uh, generosity when it comes mm -hmm. to energy. I don't know, mm -hmm. he, he sources it from somewhere, but he gets this energy to give mm -hmm. and to boost and to... That's what I noticed when, he, when I saw him at the rehearsal. Yeah. It was the only time I'd seen him live. Yeah. Like just like in person. And uh, yeah, he immediately, all he said was just is coming up saying like, hey guys. Just yeah. Like, it was immediately like, oh gosh, he really is what I've always heard yeah. about, like just yeah. how ex how much he exudes just this warmth. He does, and he's so good at it, and it's so it affects you. And as a performer, you know, Johnny Carson was always credited with knowing exactly how to um, bring the, the the guest forward and make them look good. Right. And I think Jimmy is sometimes. His detractors say that he just laughs too much, he laughs all but the he time. he makes them look really good. But that's his main goal, is right. like just to boost them up. And right. he's, and it, I can tell you firsthand, when I was in his room, and he was just a fan, we watched the O.J. Simpson run together. That's mm -hmm. where I was, when O.J. Simpson was oh, doing, yeah, I was on the couch with Jimmy Fallon at Frank Gentile's house. Wow. So that, just to date it and put it all like into perspective. I can tell you firsthand, when we were in the woods, making recordings way back before when he had he held a vision that he mm -hmm. knew he would be famous mm -hmm. uh, or successful at in comedy but he wasn't yet but he charmed everyone that was around he always had that effect on people on the set and he's just a star yeah. that's it you just when you're around a star you just know it yeah that's it so uh so I, his detractors would say well he he laughs too much and i can't stand you know you see these compilations, I see them, of him like laughing and, and but if you look at it from the right point of view, mm -hmm. if you don't just go, well, that's just a celebrity, so we'll take a shot at him like he's not a real person. Right. But if you take a compassionate view, which is, what is he actually doing? Energetically, he's trying to make the thing a success. Right. That's, it's all that's coming all what from he's that. doing, yeah. And does that have a weird, can you, can you take a snapshot of some of that and make it look weird in a, in a, in a, in a mm -hmm. compilation? Yes. I'm yeah, absolutely. And also, like, people don't realize how much, like, when he was on SNL, Will Ferrell would be messing with him under the water in the hot tub, and Horatio Sands would be changing lines to make him laugh and stuff yeah, like that. Right. There was a bit you did on Late Night, and this is one of those, this is like, you want to talk to Steve, uh, Tom Hanks about that. Uh, the, an episode of Boots and Buddies, but 
there were a couple of uh, a bits you did on there where you were a magician. The great Benito. Right. <laughs> Which is, was a great, hilarious bit. Um, it seemed like you would catch him off guard at the end sometimes, catch Jimmy off guard with like, I was, I was always wondering, and this is my question, yeah. were, were you ad-libbing those last bits sometimes? I'm so glad you brought this up. The short answer is yes, 100%. <laughs> and it goes back to the idea of writing. You asked me if I wrote in those early days or at all on the show. Mm -hmm. I don't. I'm not a writer. Nothing. Mm -hmm. But I would definitely add these things that they didn't expect, and I didn't say them in rehearsal either. Okay. And that goes back to permission <laughs> to do that. Goes back to that old rapport with Jimmy. Right. That gave me confidence to to try it. Mm -hmm. Because you you know you you away from a guy who has since become a star, and then you come back to his show. Right. It's a very interesting journey. I bet. And then you watch, <clears throat> and hopefully I've been accurate and respectful about honoring how much of that you can do mm -hmm. 70 you know 70 appearances later I mean I think that it's it's going okay yeah right? yeah haven't cut me off yet and 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 so I would add things like that, that the Benito the great Benito had always eaten something and he needs to go to the bathroom you need to go to the bathroom right and <laughs> in some weird that, way that sticks in my head right or but but right <laughs> basic just locker room you know potty humor but said in this <clears throat> totally different voice. You would, you would right. change. He, you know, he's very much nasal, you know, with the great Benito. <laughs> I? I don't know, something like that, you know, sort of like right. very elevated sort of language. <laughs> this kind of person, you know, sort of that actor speak. <laughs> and, uh, and, but he's also a mentalist. <clears throat> and the way I played it was, even though the gag was that the trick always went wrong, always poorly, like I, I would tell Jimmy to pick a card between, what, pick a number between one, and three, you know, and I would guess what the number is. <clears throat> so he's doing these ridiculously stupid bits, but I always played it like he 100% believes in it, mm -hmm. and that he actually thinks that he's getting answers from the stars. <laughs> so hence you have this looking up and all this stuff. But, you know, I, then you would switch, like, hey, where's the bathroom? <laughs> right, where's the bathroom? Where can a guy get a drink around here? Where can I get some Weetabix? Uh, you know, and I would say it's just like a funny word, too. Right. So it would be, and, uh, and then always, you know... You'd always see him, like, look <laughs> off camera to, like, Higgins or somebody. Right, and then Higgins <laughs> would sometimes echo whatever the word of Weedah makes. <laughs> you know. Um, uh, and sometimes those got cut. Sometimes the we shot ones that totally got cut because mm -hmm. they went too long. But I want to tell you a quick story about Johnny Miles Biter. We had, we had our son. My wife and I had my son, Miles. Mm -hmm. And his name was Johnny something Biter, but they changed it. Jimmy had to change to Miles Biter because it was the week my son was born. I had been in the hospital all week, mm -hmm. son being born, we're holed up, isolated, we were there for six days, there's some complications, whatever. But So we're there, and I was in this very um, womb-like environment, if you will, in the hospital, and then I get called for a bit, and then so I, you know, it's at the end of this, and so I go out to do it. It's our first day or two home, and I was in a totally different mindset. Mm -hmm. I was a father now, mm -hmm. and I played this guy very relaxed and laid back, mm -hmm. you know, and that was right for the characters. He was a traveler, and he had these songs, and they always, every song, the bit was, every song always ended up in a Smash Mouth hit. <laughs> but he was saying he wrote it. He was like, uh, you know, the stranger picked me up in a beat up pickup truck. Turn the radio on, stereo played the song, and it went, Delay, and now the time is out. Right. So it was always his songs were away into a Smash Mouth song. Mm -hmm. And you can't do it. Jimmy always stops it and blah, blah, blah. We improvised. It went like 14 minutes. Oh, dang. They ended up airing seven minutes of it. Mm -hmm. The bit should have been three minutes, but we were improvising, fighting, going back. And I said at one point, I said, uh, 
I said, yeah, you know, you know being a rock star, it's great, it's as mysterious as like that songwriting is about as mysterious as that, that moon shape on your fingernail there. And that was completely, I was in such a relaxed state that I was in the character. <laughs> and it made air, you know? Um, so things like that, like if, if I make them up and they're right, mm -hmm. they'll keep it. But if I make, you know, I make something up and it's too much or whatever, sometimes I'll get my own bits cut right. by going too long or not being funny. Speaking of uh, your own stuff, you and Josh Radner created Clanging together. That's right. Uh, can you explain what Clanging is? I don't. I, I could try, but I would screw it up. No, I feel like it's very hard to explain. Mm -hmm. Somebody said, you know, it's like telephone on acid. We did a, a Los Angeles show, and somebody tried to explain it. Um, but it's like a word association, yes. but it's phrases, not a word. It's a, and it's deeper than just. It's a volley uh, on the surface. It's a volley back and forth mm -hmm. of verbal, of, of of words. Okay. And sounds and phrases, and then it becomes to the words morph and change, but then it becomes also uh, a volley of acting intentionality, like somebody being very harsh with someone. Mm -hmm. So the line will take an acting spin, and then the other line will come back, and very hard to explain, but we do these live stage shows, which are huge successes. That's I mean, great. People love it. We got fans, people like do it, and they're like, we're clanging with my friend, and we do it on the phone. But it all started in grad school mm -hmm. when we were backstage, you know, doing a play or whatever, like a restoration bit. Somebody had a glove, I had a glove. I, he, he always said it's a dainty woman's glove that I had. I thought it was a big O.J. Simpson double homicide glove. That's what I always remember it as, but we dispute there. There's the origin story. But then I said, you know, say a word or something. I challenge you to a duel. That's what it was. I challenge you to a duel. Pop. Smack him in the face. And then he took the glove and said, I challenge you to a duo. Right. And then I challenge you to a trio. And the idea is the smack would snap you out of any pre-planning. Mm -hmm. So this was before I found improv, but I needed improv at that point. I loved it. And I lived it. Mm -hmm. Don't think about it. Like, just don't think about it. Just be right here and see what happens. And back and forth, back and forth. And before you know it, you are saying lines where you are the salesman, you are the manager at a Staples. Um, this is one that we recorded when we were visiting each other a while back. The manager at a Staples was saying, give me that lighter, give me that vodka, and set me on fire. You know, uh, it doesn't make any sense right now, I know, but if you listen to it, you're in hysterics. It's a, it's a very hysterical, strange, I've seen religious Christian things where people are all falling back and the Holy Spirit people will go like that right. and the whole crowd will fall back and stuff, uh -huh. you know, and like Benny Hinn or Benny Hinn and this other guy, Ken somebody. And I think there's something about that too clanging. It has that kind of an impact. I the see. audience is like hysterical <laughs> in, in, in a weird way. I saw that several years ago just something on Twitter he said something about doing a show with you and I was like they know each other yeah <laughs> um, yeah when are you do are you doing another show he's moving here he just got uh, the show rise mm -hmm. which is about this uh, very popular television I mean television um, it's a very it's a television show about a very popular Pennsylvanian drama teacher mm -hmm. who like turns some kids lives around etc and so it got picked up. So that's good. So he's moving here to shoot those. Oh, awesome. like today. He's actually arriving tonight at 10. Okay. Uh, yeah, if he had arrived earlier, we would have had him for this show. Uh, but alas, he's not here. Well, 
Uh, I'd, I'd love to see a climbing show. So Yeah, okay, good. So I'll let you know when, when that's coming up. Because Great. We're, we're gonna, that's the whole plan is we're going to do one here. We awesome. do them at the pit, right in that same space. Awesome. Great. Uh, so... I feel like there's, I'm sure there's tons more that we could talk about, but well, we don't I'll, have the time. We don't. And I'll just, let me finish up with this. I just want to say this, that you know, with all this, thank you first of all for mm-hmm. taking an interest. Um, I want to say that I'm interested in, if there's a message to pass on or anything I'm promoting mm-hmm. you know, for myself, it's that I do go into Fortune 500 companies and work with them and their people on being spontaneous. Oh, cool. Yeah, so I do that, and I bring my little, you know, my my little version of how how to do that, mm-hmm. and why to do that, and then we do it. And I do it also with recovering people, you know, people that are alumni of certain uh, facilities and programs around the country, mm-hmm. and they come back for like a, an alumni thing, and then I show them the joys of improv, because improv for recovering people is really, really good. A lot of the basic things that a lot of recovery people lack mm-hmm. in terms of the ability to just be simply intimate mm-hmm. are taken care of in improv. And you can quickly teach it and then get going and having them have fun. And a lot of recovering people don't know how to play. They don't know how to play. Right. The drugs are gone, the alcohol is gone, they just think it's a, you know, let's just grab something uh-huh. and, and just you know, bear it out until it all passes, until life is over. But it's not that. So that's, that's what I believe and that's what I'm passionate about these days in addition to acting and performing. That's, a, that's amazing. I like that. Um, can, is there something we could do at the end just as a creation yeah, thing? Yeah, let's is, do it. I'm totally Can you teach that. me the clang or is that... A, Clanging? Yeah, can you teach me how to... I could if, you know, I'll, I'll coach it. We can... Uh, why don't we do the three of us? Yeah, yeah you know. So, so what it is is I'll send something around, you know, whatever, and then you'll just take it and you'll change it a little and, I, and you'll send it to him. And then do we need gloves? You, you don't. <laughs> okay. You don't. You, okay. You're not going to hit each other because now it's involved, right? Right. right? I left it that it was with gloves, but we we, we don't do the glove stuff. Anymore. Okay. At, Josh always says in the show. At one point, we dropped the glove, which <laughs> he always says which sounds strangely sexual. Um, but we dropped the glove, and uh, and I will stop it just to make adjustments. Okay. Okay. Because right. so, yeah, that's first time I'm doing. So um, we usually start with a word like um, you know. Wither. Doctor. Lawyer. Good. Let me pause there. Okay. Good. Excellent. No, no, no. <laughs> now, right. So the sense is like, if we're stopping, then something has failed. No. I said I would stop. Um, so don't change it much at all. Okay. Right? Keep it really close. Okay. It'll change on its own, but make, but make it language. Don't, make, don't let it devolve into gibberish. Okay. So whatever the word is, just... It, and sometimes the same word will come out, and that's fine, too. Okay. Okay? So you start with a word, just give it to me. Okay. Sting. Stings. Bringers. 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 Bringers of Vingo. Bringers of Vingo. Bring us your finger. Bring us your fingers now. 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 Bring us. Your fingers now. Ooh, bring us your fingers now. Bring us your fingers now. Bring us your fingers now. You bring, bring us, bring us a couple of your fingers, would you? Now. We want, we want your fingers. No, 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 
you want your finger? No, no. I don't think you understand. We don't want you. We don't want your signature. We don't want your fingers. Okay. Okay. No, correct. You want? We want signatures. Maybe bring some fingers too. We need that, uh, what they say, the John Hancock, but uh, and we need the digits, too. Yeah, yeah, you know, we want your uh, John Hancock, but we also want to put our hand and cut your cock. Wait, 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 I think, I think, John, we want John's cock. Nah, nah, this is, uh, we need John's cock. We, we need John's cock. Coca-Cola. We need a John's Coca-Cola. John's, John's Coca-Cola. We want it. Bring it, please, please bring it. Please, bring John's Coca-Cola. Listen, listen, come on. Could you just please bring John's Coca-Cola? Bring it over here, it's mine. Okay, we're gonna bring, we're gonna bring John's Coca-Cola, um, whatever else he needs, maybe some M&Ms. Well, you gotta bring uh, John's Coca-Cola, you need some M&Ms, um, and uh, make sure they're only green M&Ms. Now listen, uh, yes, I used to be the President of the United States, uh, but now I'm doing, uh, you know, uh, production assistant work. Don't look at me like that. I need John's Coke, and I need his M&Ms. The President wants uh, John's, John's Coca-Cola, some M&Ms. I really can't think of the other thing. No, he's gonna fire me. It's gonna fire me. I'm, I don't want to be fired. And I just need you to just be cool. And I, I just tell him I brought you the coke and the M and M's. Okay? What are, you, what are you gonna do? Are you gonna fire me? Are you gonna fire me over a coke and some M and M's? Listen, I'm not. I'm not. We're not. I'm not gonna fire anybody. Okay? Uh, just bring whatever, whatever he wants. You know, even if you don't know what he wants, just bring something. Bring something. I don't know. Whatever you can find in the kitchen. He just wants to eat. Don't worry, he just wants to eat something. Look, man, don't make this like more complicated, okay? He's a huge star. Just bring something from the kitchen, okay? Please, now go. Whatever you can find, just just bring. Uh, like some some something from the kitchen, maybe the oven. I don't know. Whatever you want. Whatever you want. Look, whatever you want. Whatever that comes to mind. Whatever that comes to mind. Whatever they say, don't come to mind. Okay, don't ever, don't do anything. Just stay right here. Just, just stay right here. Just stay right here. Don't move a muscle, okay? Don't move a muscle, okay? Don't move your muscles, okay? Okay, just be a paraplegic. Be a paralegal. Be a paratrooper. Be a parent. Be a pair of ants. Could you just be a pair of ants? Could you just be two ants? That's what I'd like. Okay, there's two ants. I want you to be one of them. Choose whatever. You can be whichever ant you want to be. You can be, uh, 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 how about this? You pick which ant you'd like to portray. This is huge. This is huge. Um, you're going to take the role of ant. Mm -hmm. Big deal. It's a big deal. You're going to take the role of the aunt. Listen, Johnny, it's a big day for you, okay? I saw what you did in rehearsal. I want you to take the part of the arms. Wow. Uh, take the week off. Take the week off, because you can't top this. Uh, they want you to play the ant. Um, it's gonna be huge. This is gonna be huge. I got the ant. Listen, listen, I know this is gonna be, this is gonna be huge. 
Gibberish is definitely not the goal, mm-hmm. but I could see the release where we were really just letting it. That was good. It was fun and funny. Thanks. Well, great. I hope you enjoyed that chat. I sure did. I always enjoy the chat. Uh, that one, very interesting and had a lot of fun stuff in there. I hope you learned some things from it. I think we just touched on a lot of interesting things there. And uh, I, of course, loving Jimmy Fallon, love the Jimmy Fallon portion of that. And also the Josh Radner part, because I really like Josh Radner. I want to get him on this podcast as well. And I was very happy to get to do the clanging at the end. That was fun. Well, if you want to find out more about Dion Flynn, you can. You can go to DionFlynn.com. That's F-L-Y-N-N. And you can also see him perform every Saturday, except for this Saturday, at the pit at 6 o'clock. And he does his show there called Dion Flynn Works Well With Others. This Thursday at the pit, you can see the Jimmy Fallon homage show, the, the Tonight Show parody show that Adam Hamway does. It is this Thursday at 7 o'clock. We have a fun episode next week. Until next time, be good to each other. The music for the theme song was created by Neil Brooks. The rap was written and performed by Nick Acevedo. The logo for There It Is was created by Jeff Prater. The There It Is podcast is produced by Jason Farr.